0: Move on in for a Bible lesson, and then the end of the lesson, we'll give you just another moment in case you thought of anything during the lesson that needed to mention, and then we'll close in a season of prayer. So we'll try to jump right into the lesson this evening. We're looking at uh, the descendants of Noah, the descendants of Noah, uh, the end of Genesis chapter number nine through the end of Genesis eleven. Am I on now. Come on now. All right. Now we're good. I just happened to lean up and I didn't see my light shining. I don't know what's wrong with this thing, Hot (laughs) Rod. Anyway, they can hear me, just live stream people may not. Anyway, the end of Genesis chapter number 9 through the end of Genesis chapter number 11 details uh, the growth and dispersion of the sons of Noah. After the flood. Of course, we know uh, that Adam and Eve were the first man and woman, and all the people on earth uh, came through Adam and Eve Uh, until the time of Noah, when at the time of Noah, the entire population of the earth was reduced to eight people. And then from those eight people, the entire earth was populated again. And so uh, we see that all of us, no matter who we are, where we're from, we are all descendants of Noah. We all go back to Noah. And so And this evening, we're going to be looking just a little bit at the descendants of Noah. I will say that there is a lot of information uh, to be covered. Uh, in this, these chapters, and so uh, we'll just see what we can cover, what we can touch on, show you some interesting things. I actually have a couple of videos that we're going to watch this evening, uh, so it'll be a fun night, And so hopefully we'll learn it a little bit as we look at this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, we'll get into the lesson. Father, thank you for this day, thank you for your goodness, thank you, dear Lord, for this opportunity we have, Lord, to come together as the family of God, and Lord, spend some time uh, studying your Word, sharing our needs and our requests, and Lord, praying together. Father, I thank you for it. I Thank you, dear Lord, for the children's ministries, the teen ministry, uh, Lord, being able to bring the young people in and being able to uh, witness to them and, and put, uh, spread the seed of the Word of God in their hearts, Lord, I pray you be with uh, Aiden and uh, Pastor Kent as they're working downstairs and the others that are helping them, Father, I pray that you will be with them. I pray, dear Lord, that you bless now as we look here in Genesis, Lord, at the descendants of Noah, I pray, dear Lord, that you will uh, help us, Lord, to uh, look and to know and to understand the truth and the importance of your Word, Father, I pray. Thank you for your goodness. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. We see uh, your first blank there on your worksheet the sons of Noah, and pretty much any of you could probably tell me who they were is Sham. Ham, and Japheth. That is the three sons of Noah. And of course you can find in Genesis 5, verse number 32, the Bible says and Noah was 500 years old and Noah bore Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we also find in Genesis 9, verse number 18, when they left the ark, that it was Shem, Ham, and Japheth that left the ark. Now it's interesting to note, interesting to note that any time We see the sons of Noah listed. They are always listed as Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That is how they are always listed. However, the Bible tells us that that's not the order that they were born in. Now personally, and and this this is completely personal. I've never seen another commentator comment this. So this is John Tilly all the way. I personally believe they were triplets. I mean, it says Noah was 500 years old and Noah bore Sham, Ham, and Jacob. You can't have three kids in one year. And so I think that unless they were triplets, so I've always thought that these boys were triplets, but I've never found nobody else that had that thought. But we do know that even in twins and triplets, you remember the Bible talks about... uh, uh, Jacob and Esau, and how that they were twins, but Esau was the older, you know, so ten, twins and triplets, you can have older and younger. And we know here that the Bible teaches us that although the names are always listed, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Japheth was the eldest. Genesis chapter number 10 and verse number 21, Genesis ten twenty-one. the Bible says, Unto Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of of Japheth the elder. And so we see here that Japheth was the oldest boy, and we find out that Ham was the youngest son. We know in Genesis 9, uh, verse number 24, the Bible says, when Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his younger son had done to him. And I think that this adds credence to my theory that they were triplets, and whether or not they were triplets does not affect the message of the Word of God in any way. It's just a neat thing. But it doesn't say that he was the eldest and the youngest. It says it was elder and younger. So to me, it's like, you know what? This is the three triplets. He's the elder, he's the younger. But whether or not they were, I do not know. But the Bible does tell us that Japheth was the eldest, Ham was the youngest. And anytime Noah's sons are listed, though, they're listed with Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the exact reason for this is not known. However, many people uh, theorize that because the line of Christ came through the seed of Shem, which we have some genealogies we'll be looking at here in just a minute, uh, that that is the reason that Shem is listed first, is because uh, he was of the line of Christ. But we have no way to prove that. And a lot of times people wonder, they, they, why do we have the genealogies in the Bible?" Uh, boy, if you're trying to read the Bible through, especially if you're trying to read the Bible through for the first time, uh, you've never read the Bible through, you know, and you're trying to read the Bible through, and you get into them genealogies, I'm telling you what, it can get very burdensome. It's life. And this guy beget this guy, and this guy beget this guy. And you're just saying this guy because you can't pronounce none of them. I mean, this guy beget this guy, this guy. And you're like, what in the world is the point in this? And and boy, I mean, it's tough to get your two chapters read that day because these genealogies, and they're like, what is the purpose? They're difficult to read. They seem pointless. Why are they in the Word of God? But as we look here at the, these genealogies of Noah, uh, we will find out that these genealogies answer many misconceptions that people have made concerning people and races. A good example is what we looked at last week. And we talked about how that uh, American America, deep South America, misinterpreted the curse of Canaan in an effort to justify Slavery in the Americas, which was never ever taught in the Word of God at all, but they tried to do that. These genealogies are how we know that that was never taught because we know that the seed of Canaan was the Canaanites and the prophecy that Noah gave that Canaan would serve Shem was fulfilled when the Israelites went into the land of Canaan and overthrew the Canaanites. And so, but many times people will try to use Scripture to justify things and these genealogies show us that that was not the case at all. I have some slides here that show some of these genealogies. I think the first one we have here uh, is the line of Adam. Uh, so we see here Adam and Eve. Uh, and then, of course, they had uh, Cain, Abel, Seth. And the Bible says that they went on and had uh, more sons and daughters, but we know of these three. And, of course, we see the ungodly line of Cain. Uh, then we also see the godly line of Seth. And we studied through this a while back uh, how there were the two godly lines. And the godly line of Seth comes down uh, through Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, and then Sham, Ham, and Japheth. The next slide that I have here is the genealogy of Sham. And so we see the godly line of Seth coming to Noah. After Noah, we come to Sham. And when we come to the godly line of Sham, we see that Sham had five sons Elam, Asher, Arphaxat, Lud, and Aram. And then we have a little breakdown here of these uh, children. And uh, we see that Arphaxat uh, then goes to Selah, to Eber, to Peleg. Now, just a little interesting thing for you to note right here. The Bible does tell us, I didn't write this verse down, but the Bible does tell us that the, when God confused the languages at Babel, it was at the time of Peleg. Now, we know that all these people were alive when God confused the languages. But the Bible specifies that he confused the languages at the time of Peleg, which makes us think that it's very likely that it was right around the time of Peleg's birth is when the languages were confused. Uh, but then we go on. We have Reu, Serug, Nahor, and then maybe you start recognizing these names, Terah, Abraham, and then from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, of course, the Israelites. And so we see the line from the godly line of Seth, Coming through to Shem, and then from Shem coming directly into the Israelites. And so we see how that comes to pass. And then I have one more up here. And honestly, I had a hard time finding a good uh, timeline for the sons of Ham. And uh, so I actually just took a picture of this out of a book with my cell phone. So sorry for the quality there. It was the only good one that I could find. Uh, But we see here the line of uh, Ham. And a quick glance at this genealogy shows that the descendants of Canaan, as I mentioned a moment ago, were the Canaanites. You look over there on your, uh, on your far right and you'll see Canaan, and then he had Sidon and the Canaanites, Heth, and then all these guys that we read about in the Old Testament, the Jebusite, the Amorite, the Gergesite, the Hivite, the Arkite, the Sinite, the Arvadite, the Zamorite the Hamathite, and then our professor in Bible college likes to talk about uh, the termites and the, all of them too, but anyway, we see all these ites that resulted from the son of Canaan, and so this is the Canaanites, and this is who the prophecy of Noah said, Canaan, because of your father's sin... The Canaanites will serve the descendants of Shem. And of course the descendants of Shem were the Israelites. And So we see the descendants of Ham here. This genealogy makes it clear. The curse of Canaan had nothing to do with justifying slavery of so-called lesser races. As a matter of fact, As as you will see, as we continue to study this, we'll look a little more, and actually the videos will deal with this, the idea of lesser and greater races. You'll find out as we look at these genealogies and we see that the verses that have been used do not support it. We will also see um, that this idea has been advanced through the idea of evolution. The idea of evolution is what has promoted and advanced the idea of greater and lesser races. These genealogies show us that we are all of one race. We all came from Noah. Then we have here Japheth genealogy, uh, and then we have Japheth, Magog, Javan, Meshach, Gomer, Madai, Tubal, Tyrus uh, in our Bible college. I keep throwing this out about the Bible college because open enrollment is open now. So if you're not enrolled and would like to enroll for spring semester, it's open, and we're studying the book of Ezekiel. And in the book of Ezekiel is prophecy concerning end time. And that prophecy is interpreted and understood through this genealogy Now, I've got a lot of other things I'm looking at tonight, so I don't have time to dig into all of that. But that prophecy in the book of Ezekiel is explained through Japheth's genealogy. These people uh, went to Asia and Europe. That's that's where these people went to. And so we see the family tree of Japheth's descendants who who settled there in those places. Now, I said last week that there's some interesting things revealed in genealogies. And so I'm going to be sharing some things with you that aren't necessarily deep, But I believe it shows you that there's more in the genealogy than meets the eye and how they can definitely be very interesting. And so we'll look at some interesting things that are revealed here in the genealogies. We'll highlight just a couple of them. Uh, Like I told you last week, me and Joel sat up late one night looking at these things, and it's just amazing how when you consider if this guy lived here, then this guy lived here, and all the things you can put together. But a few things that we do see. Uh, One thing that is revealed through the genealogies is the age of Noah's sons at the building of the ark. How old was Noah's sons when Noah began to build the ark? Uh, In Genesis 11 and verse number 10, the Bible says, These are the generations of Shem. Shem was a hundred years old and begat had two years after the flood. All right, so Shem begat had two years after the flood. Now, we know, according to Genesis 5 and verse number 32, Genesis 5, verse number 32, the Bible says, and Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. All right? So if Shem was 100 years old when he bore Arphaxad, two years after the flood, and Noah began building the ark when he was 500, which if you turn over to Genesis chapter number 7 and verse number 6, You will see the Bible says, And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. All right, So he was 500 when he had his children. And also you can see right there from chapter number 6, he was 500 when God spoke to him. He was 600 when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And we see that two years after the flood, Shem was 100 years old and he bore our facts at. Then it means that Noah's sons were infants When Noah began construction on the ark, they were brand new little bitty infants. When Noah started this project, they were infants. But this also reveals not only how old his sons were when he began to build, but it also reveals the amount of time that was taken to build the ark. Now if you'll remember, back when we were looking at the construction of the ark, we were talking about the construction of the ark, and we said that there were a lot of debate about how long it took Noah to build the ark. A lot of folks uh, just say 120 years because God says my spirit will not always strive with man, yet I will give unto him 120 years. So we say that Noah took 120 years building the ark. Uh, Others say uh, that he took around 60 to 65 years to build the ark, and they have reasons that they base that on. But these verses in this genealogy makes it clear that the maximum amount of time Noah could have spent on the ark was 97 years. They were on the ark for a year. Shem had, or facts had, two years after the flood at 100 years old. That means he was 98 when he got off the boat. That means the maximum amount of time Noah could have spent building the ark was 97 years. Interesting how this genealogy clears this up and makes it so evident. And if you remember, whenever we were looking at that, I just said that Noah worked on the ark 100 years because I didn't want to spoil this. I was trying to save this for you for later and so uh, to show you this. But this clearly answers uh, that it would have been 97 years is the maximum amount he could have worked on the ark. Another interesting thing we see here, and, and I find this interesting. Now, there's a lot of assumption on my part here, but I believe you can see it, all right? These verses also show us that the wife of Shem was possibly with child while on the ark. He said, now wait a minute, Pastor John. How are you getting that? That's what I'm saying. You just got to pay attention. Genesis 10 and verse number 22. Genesis 10 verse number 22 says, unto sh- uh, uh, the children of Shem, Elam and Asher and Arphaxad and Lud and Aram. Now... Shem, Ham, and Japheth are not listed in order, so these names may not be listed in order. However, if these names are listed in order, then Arphaxad was his third son. Arphaxad was born two years after the flood. So either Elam and Asher were twins or Sham's wife was expecting Elam on the ark. Now... You say, well, what, what does that matter, Pastor John? Well, it just adds a whole other element in my mind. Can you imagine? Now, I've never carried a child and don't have any desire to. But you ladies, can you imagine your first pregnancy on board a boat with 4,000 animals in the midst of a violent storm? I'm telling you what, Shem's wife was a tough gal. I mean, so just some interesting things. Now, does this really matter in light of the overall message of the Word of God? It, it doesn't matter. But it's interesting to see that there's more in these genealogies than just lists of names that mean nothing. There's things we can find if we take our time to look into them. The fourth thing these genealogies give us is an idea about how many languages originated at the Tower of Babel. Uh, in Genesis chapter number 10 and verse uh, 5, verse 20, and verse number 31, we see that the Bible tells us something here, all right? In Genesis 10 and verse number 5, we have just got done... Uh, let me let me back up here just a little bit. We've just got done looking at the sons of, of Japheth, and the Bible says in verse number 5, By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands. Every one after his tongue after their families in their nations. You drop down to verse number 20, and it says here, we've just got done looking at the sons of Ham, and it says, these are the sons of Ham, after their families, after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. You drop down to verse number 31, we've just got done looking at the sons of Shem, it says, these are the sons of Shem, after their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. Now if you take time and you count All the names that are listed here, you come up with between 72 and 78 names. Uh, You say, "No, why why can't you just count them? Well, some folks include uh, Noah as an extra. Some folks include some names that are mentioned later on that aren't in this passage. If you just count the names that are here, it's 72 names. Some folks include others. But there's between 70 and 80 names listed that they were divided according to their families and according to their tongues. What that means is that at the Tower of Babel, when God divided the language, there would have been approximately between 70 and 80 new languages at Babel. This is what this genealogy tells us. You say, well, what, what does that do for us? Well, there are a lot more languages than that today. A whole lot more languages than that today. But a large majority of our languages come from language families. In other words, this language, this language, this language, this language, all originated from the same language. And so they are language families. And in the world today, if you take all the language families in the entire world today, there are less than 100 language families in the world today. What does that do? That proves to me that this Bible account of the Tower of Babel and God dividing the languages is accurate and true. The Bible holds true. We test it against today's standards and the Bible holds true. A pretty interesting confirmation that the Bible is true. So all of this is interesting, but the question is, how is all of this relevant to us today? What does all this mean to me and you? How does this apply to me and you? And these genealogies reveal some very important things concerning the human race that are actually very relevant today. First of all, we are all descendants of Noah. This is important today. We'll see why in just a little bit. And second, we see that all people everywhere, regardless of their skin color, hair color, facial features or heritage, all originated from Noah, which means... We are all of one race, all the same race. We are all of one race. We've been diluted, we've been divided, we're distant from one another, but we're all one race that has been divided into multiple people groups. And this is very relevant to us today. I have a short video here, it's nine minutes long, uh, by Ken Ham, uh, and he's going to uh, discuss how there can be what appears to be drastic differences in people and they all came from the same place. It's only nine minutes on. We'll watch this uh, very, very quickly. We'll watch it as fast as we can in nine minutes. How about that? <laughs> Go ahead.
1: People say, well, then how do you get black people and white people? Actually, there are no truly black people or white people. People say, I'm a white person. I don't want to be a white person, to be honest. Not right now. I've got too much to do. See, look, I can prove to you I'm not a white person. That's white. If I look like that, you'd be calling 911. (laughs) Do you realize if I got somebody up here that you said is a black person, you put a black sheet of paper beside them, true black, you realize they're not black. Everybody is brown. There's one basic pigment, it's called melanin, two forms of it. It's more complex than this, but this gives you the basic principle idea. If big A and big B mean a lot of melanin, little A and little B mean a little bit of melanin, if you had all big A's and big B's, you'd have dark skin. Little A's and little B's, light skin. If you had a mixture, middle brown, the world's population, the majority, if you look at the bell curve in regard to skin shade, the majority are middle brown. And to help us understand, This is um, a section through our skin, and the top layer here called the epidermis. At the bottom of the epidermis, there are cells called melanocytes that have little organelles in them, melanosomes, that produce packages of melanin. And so, depending on what genes you have, if you have genes that say you produce a lot of melanin, you'll produce a lot and you'll be dark, dark skin. or genes that produce not so much melanin. When you tan, you will produce melanin, they'll stimulate uh, your skin to produce melanin to a maximum that your genes tell you. It's very easy to understand. Those differences in skin shade, not skin color, skin shade, are just minor differences, and they are. Genetically, they're very minor. You see, what shade was Adam and Eve's skin? Not what color, everyone's the same color. And I'm gonna challenge this, and we need to change our terminology. You don't talk about what color someone is, it's what shade they are. We shouldn't be talking about races because of Darwin's ideas. Let's talk about people groups. There are people that say, there's a group of colored people. I've heard Al Sharpton get up on, on TV and say, now people of color, and I say, oh, that's everyone. Do you realize everyone in this room is a colored person? If you're not, you've got a problem, okay? Everyone's related to everyone else. Do you realize what a difference it makes when you look at somebody that you don't like and say, they're my relative? And then ask yourself, are they going to heaven? Do you want your family in heaven? See, it makes a big difference the way you look at people when you realize we're all one race, we're all one family. And you know, there, there's a lot of applications that, that we can make. For instance, I was at a church and uh, a man came up on stage after I spoke and he said, you mean to tell me there really are no truly black people? I said, that's right. Huh. Because he had a very dark shade skin and he said to me, well, I voted for President Obama because he was black, and now you're telling me that was a stupid reason to vote for somebody. I said, yeah, that's a stupid reason to vote for somebody. <laughs> because, and you know, as Christians, I use that as an example for the audience, and I said, do you realize, as Christians, you don't vote for somebody because they're black or white, which is not correct anyway, and you don't, we shouldn't vote for somebody because they're Democrat or Republican or independent. Do you know, as Christians, what we should be doing, what we should train our kids to understand? Look, there's no one perfect in the world, and in and, and politicians, you know that, uh, and what we should be doing is though saying, as Christians, I want to be salt and light, but what I need to do is judge whatever anyone's saying, their, 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 what they say, their behavior, etc., against the absolute authority of the Word of God, then that should drive how I vote. That's being a Christian. You know, uh, another church I was at, uh, I remember it distinctly, a man and his wife were sitting with the pastor over on my left, and the man had very dark skin, the pastor had very light skin. People would call that an interracial marriage. There's no such thing as interracial marriage. There's only one race. Biologically, there's no such thing. So when we say that's an interracial couple, what a load of nonsense. There are no interracial couples in the sense of biology. There are spiritually, but not biologically right there's a big difference and I remember the man turned to pastor and he says this is great I'm just pleased to know I'm not married to a white woman (laughs) so there you are and and you know there's other applications you know when you go to the doctor and 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 they give you these long forms and you have got to fill out all these stupid things and one of them is what race are you I encourage everyone write down Adams (laughs) when it says other Adams and when the person at the desk says, Excuse me, what's this? Adam's race. Adam? Didn't you know? Adam was the first man. Did you know we all come from Adam? God created Adam and Eve, and we're all descendants of Adam and Eve. And Adam sinned. And because of sin, that's why death came into the world. That's why we're gonna die. You're gonna die. You know you're gonna die. Right? And it's because of sin. And that's why God sent his son. You know the babe in a manger, die on a cross, be raised from the dead, offers a free gift of salvation. You need to you need to repent. See the gospel in thirty seconds, right there. <laughs> Hey, but can you imagine if Christians started doing this sort of thing? You start to be a witness in the community. You say, I'm, I'm going to help lead the way in regard to these issues. And then those songs we learn. Oh, who remembers this one? Jesus loves little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious. And he's, you remember that one? Actually, he teaches kids wrong ideas. Hey, imagine if we taught generations of kids this. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, shades of brown from dark to light, all are precious in his sight. Now that gives you the right idea. And so, when we think about Adam and Eve, if Adam and Eve had all little A's and little B's, the whole world would be like that. If Adam and Eve had all big A's and big B's, the whole world would be like that. But that lacks the genetic variation we see. And so it makes much more sense that Adam and Eve are in the middle with a mixture, the maximum genetic diversity that God created, just like he did in each of the kinds. And then you get a whole range of variations from that. And that's why, for instance, around the world, there's lots of examples of twins like these. These are from Australia and these primarily from England. Uh, There's lots of examples of twins like this. It's very easy to understand because it depends on the genetic diversity in in the parents and what combinations they got. And so, over time, because of the Tower of Babel, you could get some groups that only had big A's and big B's, on their own, that's all they're going to produce, dark-skinned people. Over time, you might end up, some groups that only have little A's and little B's, only produce light-skinned people. For them, remember, poodles with poodles only give poodles, right? For, for those people to produce Kids that had um, a range of skin shade, they're going to have to mix with somebody who's got some of those other genes from the original genetic diversity that God put there. Very easy to understand. And then eye shape, sort of similar. Um, One of the major factors in eye shape is the amount of fat in your eyelids. It's just a minor genetic variation. That's all it is. And as ABC News said, even in 1998, what the facts show is there are differences among us, but they stem from culture, not race. And people, the answer to racism is simple. It's the true history of the world. That's the answer to racism. To see people saved, one to the Lord, and to build their thinking on the Bible and to recognize we're all one race, we're all equal before God, we're all sinners, we all need the same solution Jesus Christ. And you know, when anyone says to me, whether it's in Australia about the Aborigines or anyone else, and they say, Yeah, but we were so wronged in our history, and look what happened in history, and look what these people did in history. Do you know what I believe we should say? Do you know what? None of us deserve anything. We didn't deserve what God did for us. We committed high treason against the God of creation. We sinned against God. We, we don't even deserve to exist. Do you realize what he did for us? He stepped into history to pay the penalty for our sin. The, oh, woe is us that we're sinners, but God wants to save us from what we did. That's the answer. Instead of looking at wrongs of the past and all the rest of it, the answer is we need to understand who we are before a holy God.
0: So, pretty interesting stuff there, how that's broke down. Uh, Biologically, there is less than 2% difference in any two people in the world. Any two people you want to find anywhere, biologically, there's less than 2% difference in their makeup uh, that makes us look different. That is a very, very small part of our biological makeup. Uh, One thing that I find interesting in this uh, is he talks about, you know, if it's all big A's and big B's or all little A's and little B's, then you only produce one kind. And I, I highly recommend this book. Uh, if you've never read this book, this is a book by Ken Ham, One Race, One Blood. covers much of what he's talking about right here. Uh, and, and in this book, he talks about the fact that whenever we want to create a purebred, such as a purebred dog or something like that, that what we do is we weed out the diversity. And so we take and create an animal that only has big A's and big B's or little A's and little B's and we, we make it this animal, we weed out the diversity, and then we call it a pure breed, but what we've actually done is weaken that dog. And isn't that so true? I mean, everybody knows that mutts are way tougher than purebreds. And that used to confuse me. I used to be, now, how, how is it? You know, shouldn't purebreds be stronger? But the reason they're weaker is because we have weeded out their diversity. But if we take and mix them back in, Although we're creating what we as people call a mutt, we're getting them closer to where they originated from because when God created man and animals, they had all the necessary genes to produce all the diversity. So I think it's very, very interesting. I have another video here. It's only three minutes long. It presents the same thing but from a little different angle. helps solidify what he was just talking about. I think you'll enjoy it.
2: I hear this one a lot. How can there be so many races in the world if we are all descendants of Adam and Eve? Well, check this out. First off, let's talk about the word race. Sometimes when people use the word, they mean supposed races of people who have evolved at different times, rates, and in different locations. That's not true. Of course, the word race is also a term we use to distinguish between groups with different physical traits, namely skin color. But are there really different races? Take a gander at Acts seventeen twenty-six, where it is written that God, from one man, made every nation of men. It's clear then that the Bible teaches that there is one race, the human race. The Bible is also clear that all people on the earth are descendants of Adam and Eve who were created by God. Check Genesis 1, through 28, easy enough. God created two people in his image, male and female, and told them to increase in number. So, Adam and Eve are mom and dad of the human race. Then, their children had children, and those children had children, and so on and so forth for many generations until, according to Genesis 6, 9, the world's population was reduced to eight people who were protected inside an ark during a global flood. And those eight people later walked off the ark, and according to Genesis 9:19, 9, from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Oh, wait a second. What do I mean scattered? Well, jump over to Genesis 11 and let's talk about an event known as the Tower of Babel. Basically because of the sinful actions of the descendants of Noah, the Lord confused their language and scattered them from there over all the earth. That's pretty clear and concise. Okay, so we've got lots of people who were descendants of the eight folks who came off the ark and now they have been scattered all over the earth. That explains that we are still one race and that different groups of people ended up in different locations. But how do we get a bunch of different colored people if we are all one race? We'll follow along. This of course is a simplified explanation, but the basic principles are true. We all have a pigment in our bodies called melanin, which depending on different variables produces different shades of the one main skin color we all possess. Several genes control the amount of melanin produced and thus the variability in the skin shade. In fact, it's easy for one couple to produce a wide range of skin shade variability in just one generation, as we'll see in just a moment. Time for a quick genetics lesson. DNA is the molecule of heredity that is passed from parents to children. A child inherits 23 chromosomes from each parent. Each chromosome pair contains hundreds of genes, which regulate the physical development of the child. However, to illustrate basic genetic principles pertaining to the topic, we'll just talk about two genes, the genes that control the production of melanin. So, let capital A and capital B symbolize versions of the gene that code for large amounts of melanin, while little a and little b code for small amounts. Got it? Easy. Check this out. Take a look at the upper left. Let's say dad contributes capital A, capital B genes, and mom contributes capital A, capital B genes as well. Together, they will produce a child with capital A, capital A, capital B, and capital B. This is a kid with a lot of melanin, and thus he will have very dark skin. Easy to see. Here's the bigger point though. Let's say dad contributes capital A capital B and mom contributes little a and little b. Well, the child's skin will be middle brown shade, the combination of capital A little a and capital B little b, which by the way represents a majority of the world's population. Not only that, but if each parent is capital A little a, capital B little b, the combinations that could be produced in their children could result in a very wide range of skin shades in just one generation. So, Since Adam and Eve were the first people ever, it makes sense to conclude that God placed in them a combination of genes that could produce all different shades of skin we see. Those same combinations would be present in Noah and the seven other people who boarded the ark. And because God dispersed people at the Tower of Babel, he dispersed the population, thereby isolating gene pools in the different people groups. Over time, different cultures formed in different locations with certain features like skin shade becoming predominant. And here we are today. And since we all go back to Noah and his family, it makes sense that we are all different shades of brown. One race, multiple people groups, just like the Bible teaches. Simplified for sure, but enough said.
0: There you go. My son Joel, I was making sure it was going to play before service, and he said, "Dad, that's way too fast for a Wednesday night." <laughs> I thought, "It would change the world, wouldn't it?" I'm telling you, it's just simple. It just makes sense. Um, but anyway, we can see that the descendants of Noah, the genealogies of the sons of Noah, very important and very relevant to what's going on in our world today. So, hopefully, that's a blessing to you. If you want, I can definitely share that little three-minute video with you, and you can share it with your friends and family, and uh, maybe we can make a little difference, don't huh, <laughs> Anyway, did anyone think of any other prayer requests uh, during the lesson that you
2: failed to mention beforehand? Anyone at all?